During the playoffs, a clutch teammate makes all the difference. With a State Farm agent on your team, you can have someone who comes in clutch when you need it most. Speaking of clutch, who do you think's been the most clutch in the playoffs so far? Hmm, I'd say KD. Mr. Durant. I would agree with that. So draft a State Farm agent as clutch as KD and save when you combine your home and auto insurance. State Farm, here to help life go right. Welcome back after a long hiatus to the JJ Reddick podcast. I apologize for the long duration of time in between episodes. A few things happened and the playoffs started and I just got a little behind and I told our PR guy, Patrick Reese with the 76ers, I told him right around the time the playoffs were starting, I said, listen, if I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it. So I will do the mandatory media sessions before and after practice. And obviously game days, you have mandatory media. Other than that, I'm not doing it. Like yesterday, I was supposed to sit down with Mike Breen and the you know ESPN guys before the game. And I elected not to. I stuck with my guns. However, I feel a certain obligation to the ringer. So I'm coming out of my... So you ignored sort of, Mike Breen and you, but, you're doing this? But I'm doing a mailbag pod. That's <laughs> dedication to the audience. <laughs> Also, I feel like for multiple time guests like yourself, I need to start bringing some sort of prize or award. This is your fourth. You, you this know, is your fourth appearance. Is I, it not your, is it, more than that? You know, Ben's going to get really mad about it. He's very jealous. But this is why Ben has to come to New York. <laughs> he's very jealous because this is, he's he's getting one up. Not even one up. He's getting three ups. But this is all his fault for being in LA. He's actually coming to Game Four on Sunday. Is he? So yeah. I'll be there too. I'm going to make sure. To, yeah, I'm going to make sure to let him know that uh, <laughs> yeah. this thing was recorded. Well, congrats. So we're going to do this mailbag pod. I'm sure there'll be some playoff questions. Let's get right to it. Oh, I just want to say one thing real quick. Do you ever get to a five o'clock in the day and you realize you've made a couple of mistakes in your day? Um, I would say that's a <laughs> daily occurrence. Okay. Why do you ask? Because the mistake that I made today was wearing this bomber, <laughs> this bomber jacket. <laughs> And what, 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 so, so describe, just, describe, you, describe the bomber. Describe it? Why don't so you I would say, I would say it's cherry red, a slim fit, <laughs> slim fit, cherry a, red, a very bright, cherry, very red. bright, cherry red jacket with a, with a white conspicuous C. Yeah. And the word champion, I think, is it champion on the back? <laughs> champion on the back. It is not what I would like to call a humble jacket, it is. but, <laughs> but it is very cool. It is not a humble jacket. It's very cool. And I probably walked two or three miles in Brooklyn today. Took my son to school. Took Did you get any comments Walked on Chelsea it? to Pilates. I rode the subway like three times today. I walked around Manhattan. I was in Soho. I met my trainer at the gym in Midtown. And it's the middle of the playoffs. And I, <laughs> I'm wearing a bright did anyone, red did jacket. Did anyone say anything? Yeah. yeah. Normally, I slide through. I was going to say, this is, I feel like the only way you will get recognized. I've never way. been with you when you've been recognized in I'd New York. I never get recognized. I think the only way you would get recognized in New York is wearing a, a bright red jacket. This is champion on it. I've also noticed in my lifetime that, again, I blend in and it's like one of like my favorite things about being 6'4 and just sort of, you know, Also in New York, in New York, people don't care. In New York, people don't care. Even the cop on the subway today said something, <laughs> said something to me, which never well, happens. This is one more question about the jacket and then we'll move on. You know how like every once in a while, 
actually hasn't happened that much this playoffs, but it's happened in the last couple of years when there's like a post game press conference, something like that. When someone has a really good game, they wear something crazy to the press conference, just as a statement. They don't even acknowledge it. They just wear it. Like the game against the nets where you had uh 26 or I think I was actually race. wearing this jacket. Did you wear the jacket to the, I didn't watch the press conference. I think I wore this jacket to game three when I had 26. So maybe I, the jacket is the good luck. Maybe you have to wear this on Sunday. <sighs> Maybe I'll bring it out. I think you're going to have to bust this. <laughs> gonna I think you're going to have out. to bust this out on Sunday. All right, let's get into it. Benjamin Lyon writes in, JJ, big fan of the show. What do you think the hardest aspect of the NBA to master is that fans wouldn't pick up on? The hardest aspect. It's a great question. I think the best answer I can give you because I could talk about a couple like real specific things and. I think that's more positional and it could be team by team. It could be situation. But I think in general, the hardest thing to master is the amount of information and data that you have to process on every possession. There's just so much happening at all times and there's an attention to detail. And this is for like a regular season game on a Tuesday. Yeah, You get to the playoffs and that's amped up even more. Again, I'm I'm not a GM, but like if I was ever to like have any input in personnel when I was done playing, like one of the things that I would sort of lean heavily toward is highly intelligent players, skilled guys. I mean, look, if guys are playing 10 to 15 years in the NBA, I would consider those guys geniuses. You go down the list, Chris Paul, LeBron, I mean, they're absolute geniuses of what Vince, makes them great. Vince, Vince yeah, of course. Well, so that's, I guess that's a, to follow up on that. Does it bother you when you hear about whatever fans, media people talking about how players aren't smart? Because by definition to play, I think I think you make this argument about any professional sport, but to play in the NBA in particular, there is a certain level of intelligence, a certain level of genius you have to have to even make it on the court in the first place. That's yeah. not just physical. Yeah, I think you're, if you have like, incredible physical gifts and athletic talent, you're going to get a shot. but you know, I, I could, I'm not going to obviously name names, but I go down the list of guys that let's say were either in high school or college around the same time as me. And I can name 50 guys off the top of my, literally 50 guys off the top of my head that had more physical gifts than me. Yeah. But, you know, I think I was mentally tough enough and, and smart enough that I could sort of harness whatever talents I had and work on those talents to, to last a long time. Do you think, um, to the follow up to Ben, do you think that the, the mental aspect is upped in the playoffs? Like, have you noticed oh over the gosh. last month and a half that that oh has gosh. been, it's at a different level than it was? No doubt. I mean, again, not to name names, but I've, you know, I've had teammates and at different times, you know, I've talked to guys around the league about certain teammates of theirs and you'll say like, well, that guy can't play in the playoffs. Yeah. And basically what you're saying is like, he can't process the information. He doesn't have the attention to detail where he can come in a game, even if it's for three minutes, five minutes, whatever. And off the bat, you know, know the coverages, know the adjustments, know the game plan, and be able to process that in real time. It's it's hard. We're taping this after Game Three of the Toronto series. What do you think's been the biggest challenge so far in the first or the seven games for you? Eight games. Eight games. Yeah, staying patient. The flow of the game is is so different in the playoffs, um, and so you know you 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 can play. I think a little more static basketball as opposed to free-flowing basketball you know really the Warriors are the only team that I think plays and this is true I think just in general of the playoffs like this this happens on every team I've ever been on and the Warriors are maybe the one team that sort of plays 
in the same way in the playoffs that they do in the regular season, whereas most teams sort of manage possessions a little bit more yeah. and 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 really just you know own in on let's say one or two environments as we like to call it with Brett, like one or two environments we're going to play out of. And so, like you know, you're, you're you know, I'm a, I like I like to move, and sometimes you just get a little antsy. <laughs> By the way, I was going to ask you. We talked a couple of days ago about doing this pod today. Yeah, and I was like, I mean, I've been kind of cold towards you about doing the podcast during the playoffs. Not really. And, yeah, no, fine. but I know it's been fine. And uh, the jacket, the jacket is. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you're like, I think your comment was, let's do the mailbags. So that way, you don't have to prep anything. Yes, which is true. <laughs> okay, so then I started thinking today. I'm gonna walk over here. I was like, I get really nervous. Not nervous, but there's a certain element of like performance right when i go to do a podcast 100 that i have to prepare for yes you know the, the content the questions the research all that stuff and then i'm going and i'm like is this conversation going to even be able to flow are do you get that when you host these because you're kind no, of like hosting no with i me. don't get it at all this is just you I, I could probably name four podcasts four of the best podcasts you've done yeah and i'm not going to name them on this thing where Four or five minutes before the podcast, you were like, I don't, I'm not even sure I, I can, not like I don't want to do it. Like, I'm not sure I can do it. And then you go out there. I'll name one just as an example. The one we did with Chrissy Houlihan. Yeah. At the, yeah. At the Sixers facility, it was a great, fascinating uh, woman who, who ran and won for Congress in Pennsylvania. You were very nervous about that. And she said afterwards, and I told you this afterwards, she said afterwards it was the best interview she'd given in like years. And she was a CEO wow. of AN1 and all these different things like that. So you just get in your own head. And my thing is you have enough, you're clearly not even doing, you're not even talking to Mike Breen. You have enough things in your head right now. So let's just have the tables turned on you. That's fair. I do remember the Chrissy Houlihan uh, one. I had to drag you out of the locker room. I was in the cold plunge, (laughs) basically hiding. And I was like, dude, you got to come in here, man. (laughs) This is bad. And you're like, what's up? She was, was waiting like, up there. I was like, I've got nothing. She's been waiting for 20 minutes. I was like, I'm still 10 minutes away. I have nothing. And you're like, you're going to do it. Oh, Let's you're going to do it. Well, part of this was like self-preservation for me because I'm like, I don't want to go into that room after know, she's been sitting there for 45 minutes. I'm like, oh yeah, he's not coming. Uh, we got it done. Yeah, we got it. We always get we it always, done. Somehow, we always somehow get it, it gets done. It's begging, like kicking and screaming. All right. Done. So you're not, you're not nervous. No. And, I, and I would also just add to that that there's a real enjoyment, and I know I said I'm not doing anything during the playoffs, but there's a real enjoyment for me about being the guest on someone else's podcast. Like, I like doing that. Well, because you're the best guest. No, I don't think that. I, I think th- you are legitimately – I'm not even just saying this because we're sitting together. There aren't – especially in the NBA, but I'd say just in terms of like professional athletes in general, you are – because you are introspective – and you and a lot of this is because you host the show yourself, so you know what it's like to actually ask questions. Exactly, you know how to answer questions, and so many people just talk into the wind, and you actually can you can answer a question while both like leading into the next question in a way where you can drive the conversation in a specific way that just ninety percent of people just don't do. Is that accurate? Never thought about that before, but yes. But thank is. you, yes, Tommy. That's just, very kind of you. I'm just throwing out it's the last compliment of this. We're 12 <laughs> minutes into the podcast and we've done one, one question. question. <laughs> All right, let's get let's get to some of these other ones. Some of these some of these questions are great, and some of them are crazy. Okay, this is actually an interesting one from Juan Caceres. What's the biggest what if of your career? The decision, the move, decision you didn't make that could have changed the course of your career. Greetings from Buenos Aires, and congrats on your 10,000 points. Thank you for the. For the kind words. That is actually a e- very easy question to answer because it's a question that I actually think about sometimes. And I always think about, and Chelsea actually is about 10 feet away from me. I'm sorry, Chelsea, but you are. You're 10 feet away. And She's this, here. 
She's here. The, the, fu- the future host of this podcast. <laughs> the, the wife is in the room. All right. But uh, when we were on our honeymoon and I signed in, it was 2010, I signed an offer sheet with the Chicago Bulls and I had just come off. Uh, we had made the finals in 09 with the Magic and the conference finals in 2010 with the Magic. LeBron and D-Wade and Chris Bosh had just teamed up with the Heat and I you know, at that point, you're like, all right, so the Magic are sort of going to be maybe on the decline in terms of being an Eastern Conference power. The Bulls are on the rise, right? It was also, you know, they had basically said you're going to have a ch- an This offer- was the Rose Noah. This was when they were the number one seed. They won 62 games, I think. They ended up losing to the Heat in the Conference Finals that year. But it was a chance to start. And it would have been my, you know, my fifth year in the league. And they had said you were going to have an opportunity. And you to would start. be a perfect fit on that team. And I, I think playing with Noah. Oh my God, you would have, have just yeah. had open three after open three. Derek Rose, yeah, and you know, and, and playing for Tibbs, I, I know, you know, because I loved playing for Stan. And instead, Orlando matched the offer. I had to come off the bench for three more years. My fifth year, that first year, was actually a really hard year for me because basically they had match this offer for me to be the eighth guy on the team you know it wasn't like I was the first guy off the bench I was still you know just a rotational player for them and I felt like I was at the point in my career where I could take a step forward and I and I really felt like I didn't get that opportunity and it like that was frustrating for me and so I think about like what if you know what if I had gotten to play on that Bulls team for those for those three years you know what Maybe there was a championship, maybe another finals appearance. Obviously, selfishly, you're like, you got the opportunity to start three years before I did. Yep. So That's interesting. Uh, this is another, I like this question a lot from Travis Young. He's, JJ, uh, great to read about your leadership and Jackie Mack's recent article on Joel. When you were a rookie, who took you under their wing and was your vet? And then I like this question just in general. What three leadership qualities do you admire and try to emulate? So Keon Dooling and Pat Garrity were probably the two best vets for me my my rookie year. My rookie year was like hard, obviously, you know, not playing and all that. Keon would just provide constant words of encouragement. I remember I didn't get to play a lot that year, and I had a little like, you know, seven or eight-game stretch where there were some injuries, and I got consistent playing time. And I think we were playing the Kings at home on like an afternoon weekend game, and I had like 10 points in the first half, and I, I came out, you know, towards the end of the second quarter. And Keon said to me, he's like, hey, man, you're going to make a lot of money in this league. <laughs> and uh, I thought I was going to be out of the league in two years. So I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Thanks, thanks Keon. <laughs> and then the next year, Richard came to the team and Chelsea knows my love for Richard. Um, there was a period of time in my life where I couldn't say Richard Lewis without, without smiling. Without smiling. Yeah, he was, he was great for me. In terms of leadership, you know, I think I, number one, this may sound counterintuitive to some people, but I think you know, my favorite quality in a leader is is humility. I think empathy is important as well. It's one of the reasons that I think great players, like the truly great players, wouldn't make great coaches. And it, and it's it's hard to sort of see what the fourteenth guy is going through and and how to relate to him. It's it's hard to understand why this guy can't quite get this pick and roll coverage. Because it was so easy for you, because it was yeah. su- you were such a genius. So I think empathy, humility, and and then the the third thing would be communication. Look, I think that's the biggest challenge in our league because you have to be very sensitive to guys' personalities, the makeup of guys. Um, you know, player to player, coach to player, player to coach. You kind of have to have some level of emotional intelligence about how to communicate and and not just what you're communicating, but how you're communicating. Do you think that, I mean, we've talked about this before and you've talked about this in the show overall in terms of the last point with communication. 
it seems like that has changed even over the last couple of years in terms of being able, especially to relating to younger players and how to sort of break through to them in a way that was different than you in 2007 as a rookie. I feel like the whole league is younger though. Yeah. Like I think, you know, pop, I see in all these um, quotes he has on hoop type, he talks about corporate knowledge and, you know, part of communication is, is just the corporate knowledge that sort of gets passed down, right? As humans that belong in groups and tribes, like we tell stories to connect. That's yeah. sort of what connects us. And I think if you're part of an organization and a culture that you want to sort of pass these stories down, this corporate knowledge or whatever. And what is, I think, sort of happening at times in this league is you're getting a, a team that just has a bunch of 21, 22, 23, 24-year-olds and everybody's sort of fighting for their place in the league and there's no corporate knowledge being passed down. And that's why you still see guys you know they get a premium sometimes on the on the open market in free agency on these one year deals just to come in and sort of be a voice in the locker room and a, and a steadying influence. Well, my my leadership question for you on that is, you know, I think one thing that an effective leader does in any business, taking basketball out of it, is they is they learn how to incentivize things for their employees. You know, for whether that's financially, creatively, whatever it may be, they offer ways for them to grow internally so they always feel like they're challenging themselves but what's different about the nba in particular is there's just a limited amount of real estate you know so if you're running a big company if you're running goldman sachs if you're talking to david solomon he can figure out ways to incentivize 500 people in different ways and it's not going to affect anything you have five spots on the court so if you're talking about the 14th man that guy's not getting on the court no matter what you do so how do you how can that how can a coach sort of like a incentivize and even like show empathy towards somebody like that when they know ultimately they're not going to be able to play them based off of the makeup of their team? It's a great question. I think it's one of the biggest challenges that an NBA coach has. And and it's not just for the 14th guy, but maybe it's for the third guy. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Because everyone's the, expectations are for different. The, for the third option or the fourth option or the first guy off the bench. or People always say this, but I think a big part of being an NBA coach is, is managing egos. And as much as it is about X's and O's and putting your players in a position to succeed, it's about managing egos. I don't think it's necessarily hard for a coach to incentivize a player because the players are already inherently incentivized by the nature of their career uh, being short and trying to make as much sort of money and, and get as much out of their career in this short amount of time. I think the challenge really is sort of incentivizing everyone to work how do we how do i incentivize everyone to work together for a common goal and that is really challenging and yeah. look if you have you know lebron james on your team it can be a little less challenging because he makes up for a lot of stuff but you know if you're you know somewhere in the middle and you're trying to let's say be a get home court in the first round and there's guys in contract years that's that's a huge challenge it's tough uh, this is interesting from Phil uh, Boyatzis. As someone who shares sort of a similar perspective, what did you think about Kyle Korver's Players Tribune article? Man, I don't think we we haven't recorded since that, right? That no, was we haven't. A couple weeks ago, I've thought a lot about this. I don't necessarily want to talk too much about it, just because I'm still sort of processing, um, you know, everything in that piece. And he had a year to write it, and I've only had a couple of weeks to think about it. So I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm going to take a break. I would or take a pass on this, but I would say the most interesting part about the piece to me, and what really struck me, 
was the notion that as a white male, I get to choose when I get to opt in and when I get to opt out of the conversation. And I guess I had never really thought of that before. And, you know, you self-assess and you say, wait, are there times where I'm consciously or subconsciously opting out of this conversation? Because it's easier, because I can, because I have the privilege to choose to opt in or opt out. You know, I'm inherently aware of the privilege that I have as a white male in this country. Like, and it, it doesn't... You've talked about it on the show before. Yeah, and it look, there's an element of... There's an element of guilt there, for sure. But I also know how I was raised. I know the values that I have. And so whenever I feel that guilt, I'm like, well, it's not me, right? And so Kyle kind of said that. Well, it's not me. But if you're sort of in an environment where you're allowing things to happen, and right now as a society and as a, as a country, anyone that is in this environment and is allowing things to happen, hatred, bigotry, racism, uh, then you are kind of in some ways responsible. And so that those were the two parts that really hit home with me. You know, I I think about these sort of issues all the time. Uh, Chelsea and I talk about them all the time as well. And, you know, I most people know I'm a person of faith and the essence of sort of my faith is is basically what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And, and that comes down to one thing, and that's love. And I've always believed that an important component of love is empathy. and I strive to be empathetic towards everyone, regardless of sort of whatever you're bringing to the table, you know, socioeconomic background, race, religion, sexuality, it it doesn't really matter to me. And, and so, you know, we, we, um, yeah, that's the, that's the world we live in. But going back to Kyle's thing, I just, I I would say the, the, it is a little bit of a challenge, I think, to, to be aware, because I'm not an ignorant person, like I am aware of all these things that are happening. I am aware of this social justice movement. I, I studied culture anthropology. I studied history. I, I know the history of our country. There's a lot of things that we have done wrong. And I think that it is a challenge for me personally to say, well, I'm just going to opt in all the time. And I'm lucky that I have that privilege that I get to choose. But I think the choice has to be made that you just you opt in all the time to to sort of fighting. Yeah, does that make sense? Yes. I, I, I no, I think it makes sense, and I think yeah. it's a. I think he did an incredible job writing that piece. But to your point, which is very fair, is like that was a fully crafted message. It was a speech. It was something he clearly thought a lot about and worked on for a really long time. And I, I it, was really well it was really, really well done. Yeah, really, well it was really well yeah. done. I think it's a really deep, tricky question, and I don't think there's like a perfect soundbite answer for it. You know, no, I, think that, I think his thing was perfect because it was so well crafted. And I think everyone goes through their own personal sort of like feelings on that issue. And I think a lot of what you just do speaks for itself in terms of like your work. And so you don't necessarily have to like, yeah. it's not something which is hyper relevant for you right now. And a lot of, and, and part of why he had to write it, you know, was, was being in, in a place in a city where this was, ha- this happened, you yeah. know, and it didn't, it's not happening in Philadelphia. So it's not as much of a. Yeah, it's uh, it's not as sort of relevant. I like this question from eight year old Magnus. Writes in, why don't you dunk during the game? <laughs> First of all, I know for a fact. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin this for the listener. But I know for a fact that some of these questions aren't actually from readers. No, Magnus. I have the, Magnus's email and the address. The Ringer staff comes I, up with these questions. I have Magnus's email and, address and right here. I will show you this email. That Magnus is a fictitious eight-year-old, 
and you've got a burner email address. I, I'll be honest with you. First of all, the reason I don't, I've never really dunked in games is because it takes up too much energy. And number two, I, I can't dunk that well anymore. There's just not. So even in warmups, you're not. Because yes, you dunk in warmups. Oh, I used to all the time. Yeah. yeah. Even like earlier this year. But then you get to a point. I remember when I, my first game with Milwaukee in warmups, I dunked in, in, in the line. And Mike was probably close to my age now. He's probably 33, Mike Dunleavy. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, you're one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure what he meant by it at the time. But now I realize just like, stop. Well, Chelsea and I were talking about this. You, is, there an, is there an element of it's like the upside versus downside. You know that like if you do it, people are going to like, oh, that's cool. Like JJ dunked. But if you try to do it and you blow it, especially now with the house of highlights and everything like that, like it's going to be a rough 48 <laughs> hours, whether or not you're on social media. You're talking about trying to dunk in a game? And failing. I think my, the, the two points to me are too valuable. If I ever had any doubt, I wouldn't even try. You just don't even try. Yeah, I wouldn't even try. I'm also at the, like, I'm at the point in time in my life where like, listen, the environment has to be perfect. My steps have to be perfect. It's so this just, is happening on Sunday. Sunday you're going <laughs> to dunk on Kawhi. I'm not really allowed to go to the offensive boards. I'm, I'm what's called a get-back guy. There's go guys and get-back guys. I'm yeah. a get-back guy. But I would love, like, my dream has always been to just catch one off the rim. Just to follow up. Just to follow dunk. That's always been just my dream. Flex, just flex on whoever it is. You just. Yeah. It's yeah. going to happen. Before you retire, this will happen once. It'll happen Hopefully. once and we're going to put it in the, we'll put it in in, uh, in Springfield. If you want to go on YouTube and Google JJ Reddick Dunk Atlanta Hawks 2011. <laughs> we're going to look that There's, up right after this. Uh, video evidence of my leaping ability. Uh, Ryan Faulkner, I think this question, as someone who was at the away Minnesota game and chanted not on Twitter at you afterwards, I have a couple of questions. Philadelphia gets a bad rap among fan bases. What has your experience been with Sixers fans? And then two, and this is definitely, I feel like a loaded question for you. What is the strangest chant you've ever heard either directed at you or just in general at a game? For some context here. There was a large contingent of Philadelphia 76ers fans at our game in Minnesota towards the end of the regular season. They hung around afterwards. I'm not sure uh, which person gave them uh, 400 passes, <laughs> post-game passes, but it was literally was an this entire... A late, was this a late game? Was this late I don't even season? know. Yeah, it was like March 30th or something. That's such a, weird, that's such a um, weird city. But why would you go to people. Minnesota? Yeah. Anyways, um, after the game, I come out and and... I think it was like, I think maybe because it was Robert Covington and Dario's first game against us, maybe because they were like talking to the crowd. So maybe, oh, yeah, yeah. Sixers fans love those two. Yeah. And then TJ came out and TJ started uh, doing like, you know, Rocky style fist bumps and like <laughs> fake air boxing and they were going crazy. And then I was like trying to have a conversation with my aunt who I only get to see once a year. And then they started chanting not on Twitter at me, which that was a very <laughs> odd chant from your, like, first of all, is that, a, is that a good thing? Was not on Twitter? Is that a good, are you like chanting? Also, there's other things they could chant on you. Is like, that supposed to be negative? I, also, I, this is this is the Sixers. This is my own team. Like, who if it also, is negative, why are you chanting negative also, things? Who, we just won the game. Who besides Joel on the team is like really on Twitter? It's know. not like, it's not like the rest of the team is like sitting there doing like Twitter recaps. I feel like after. there's like two guys on Twitter and it's like, Joel and Jared Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no other NBA players no. who are really on Twitter. Uh man. What was the question again? <laughs> well, there's two. There's, what's your exp experience oh, with, experience overall with Sixers fans? And yeah. the second one is, 
just what's the strangest chant you've heard, not necessarily yeah. this year, but just in general? I've never been booed by my home crowd before until this year. Like personally booed. Um, you know, when, I had, when did you when did you get booed? I think it was like three times. <laughs> the first time was uh, the Warriors game at home. Um, oh, I was at that game. Yeah, you this, got booed during that game. That was a good game. Oh yeah, I, I personally got booed. Uh, the second time was game, or the third time was game one of the Net Brooklyn Nets series. Yeah. And then there was another time before that. But look, I had like four or five of my worst games, maybe in my career, but definitely of the season within like a three or four week period. I remember Chelsea, we did, it was like right when I signed, it was like right when we first came down to Philly. And I think like it was like our Uber driver or taxi driver. Somebody was like, he's going to get booed at some point. <laughs> like, that's just how our fans are. I would take that just like having a soul and having feeling over just a general sense of apathy, you know, yeah. whatever, just just not caring. I think our fans have been amazing. Game three, and, and you'll see this on Sunday for game four, game three was oh, they were crazy as loud night. as I've heard in NBA arena. And, and look, I'm not, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. Today. Oh, it's coming out today. Great. So to all the Philly fans that are coming to the game, you realize is that it's Cinco de Mayo. So I would just encourage start you. Start drinking early. <laughs> to start drinking early. <laughs> Come and make as much noise as possible and and give us give us that home crowd advantage. Uh, Chad Treat writes, aside from Seattle, what city or market would you most like to see get an NBA team if the NBA decided to expand? Austin, Texas. That's a good answer. We were talking about that earlier. Austin would be, that would be immediately go to top five free agent destination. Of course. But you couldn't You're have- in Texas. But, you, but so you would have to move one of the Texas teams. You can't have four teams in Texas. For sure. Move the Spurs to Austin. Someone told me, and I don't know if this was true or not. No, I shouldn't even say this because it's just speculation. But I feel like somebody said that at one point the Spurs were thinking about moving their um, arena to like halfway in between Austin and then San Antonio. Because like, Mar- like in Marfa, it's a little no Marfa. It's like <laughs> West Texas. I think it's like New Braunfels or Bastrop. What is it? That's a horrible. That's a truly uh, horrible idea. So here's the thing. We have talked about this before. The Friday Night like Lights. Four, the Friday Night Lights four or five Texas years ago when we were like first moving to Austin, or I guess it was like six years ago when we were first moving to Austin. I was like, well, if I play in San Antonio, I'll just make the drive. You know, it's like an hour 15, an hour and a half. And she was like, that's insane. You're not doing Definitely that. Definitely crazy. Why would you ever Why make would it you crazy? Ever commute <laughs> drive to go? over an hour to practice every day. That sounds nuts. Who would do that? And now I'm doing it, you know, hour Honestly, 45 down, two a, hours back. It might be an easier drive from Austin to San Antonio. It definitely is. It's just, it's, it's, a, definitely it's a pretty is. straight shot. Not, oh, a, not a lot of traffic. I've Google mapped that many, <laughs> many times. It's very close. That's a good what if. That's a, that's a, you had a good time playing in San Antonio too. I had the opportunity. The the summer we moved there, uh, you know, they they uh, it was like they had said like, well, you know, we'll do the mid level. What was that? 2013. Yeah, I think they ended up getting Marco, who was yeah. great for him the first time around, and he obviously won a championship. Good for him. <laughs> Marshall Miles writes: Do you think teams can turn it on for the playoffs? Uh, how much does a regular season really matter? Yes, I think teams can turn it on. I think the regular season definitely matters for a number of reasons number one gives you home court advantage or you know you play on the road number two gives you an opportunity to play basketball which is always fun <laughs> like i can't and imagine helps. just and, being and like hey starting we're, starting we're, playing and we're just gonna April. do the playoffs yeah. we're just gonna do the playoffs uh, plus i i also like um i like the narrative that can form around a team a player 
And it's fun sort of to use stats to compare guys over different historical eras. It's fun to um, to look at a player's growth from his third year to his sixth year. And if all we had was a very, very small sample size of the playoffs, then you know, we wouldn't really get the opportunity to to really witness greatness with such with such frequency. Do I think there's an element of cruising during the regular season? Maybe. I, I think, you know, when you get to the playoffs, you realize the playoff games are so much more exhausting because you're just more locked in. Every possession is a little bit harder. You add that possession, add all those possessions up over 30 or 35 minutes of playing time. And, you know, you get done and you feel like you played a 53-minute overtime game. Bye, Chelsea. She's got to. She's got to go take care of that. Chelsea has real responsibilities. She, uh, there's a my third year we were playing. I don't know why she just brought the story up. My third year, you're talking about the Philly crowd. I think that's why she wants me to bring this up. My third year when I was playing at the Magic, we were playing Philadelphia in the first round. There was this guy that was sitting courtside next to our bench, and um, for like game three was the first game there because we had home court. So game three was the first game there. So game three, he just keeps yelling at me. He keeps yelling at me. And I'm not really acknowledging him. Then we get to game four and he's yelling at me. Finally, sometime in like the second half of game four, this guy had been literally yelling at me for two straight games. And all he had been yelling is, JJ! JJ! Acknowledge me! (laughs) And I look over and he makes like, what's the Jay-Z triangle? The Rock. The Rock, yeah. So he makes like an inverted Jay-Z, the Rock sign close to his his groin area. And he, he mouths to me, you're a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's you have to appreciate it. You have to appreciate the it dedication to a certain extent. Two games for me to make eye contact with this guy. And that's all he had. You're like, thanks. <laughs> thanks, man. Good talk. I was like, all right. And then we played in game six. And because of some injuries, Marsh, Marsh and Gortat and I got to start. Marsh had a double-double and I hit five threes and we won a closeout game on the road. And walking off the court, he was like, hey, man, I was just kidding. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're best friends. <laughs> and now he comes over to my apartment every he's, Thursday. He's at my dinner. apartment right now. <laughs> I have no idea who the guy is. Hang tight. We got to hear from our sponsors real quick. Players and fans prepare all year for the playoffs. They need to be ready for anything. With a State Farm agent on your team, you can be ready for anything too. They can help you prepare for whatever life throws your way. Who's the most prepared player in the playoffs right now? I can't say you. That doesn't count. (laughs) I'll tell you who I know is living, breathing, and dying right now. Chris Paul, for sure. Yes. And you know what? It fits because we're doing a State Farm ad read. Chris Paul, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, also a friend of State Farm. Yep. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help you prepare for the unexpected. State Farm, here to help life go right. Uh, Steven Schwartz, I was actually thinking this. This is a good question. Uh, what's going through your head when your teammates are in the middle of a fight, like in the Nets series? So basically, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want any of my teammates to do something stupid, right? Especially for a punk ass like Jared Dudley. <laughs> Jared Dudley. <laughs> like, is he Can we talk really, about Jared Dudley for a second? Is he really worth it? Can we talk? So, did you expect the, the Jared Dudley theatrics going into this series? Yes. Absolutely. Did he do this did. during the regular season? This is just Jared. This, this is, is just how he is? operates. He operates this way. I expected all of that. 
a lot of those guys hadn't been in the playoffs before. So I felt like he was going to do something to be like, hey, I'm the leader. You know what I mean? But do you think that, so So watching, I watched game three. I wasn't there. I was just watching on TV. It seemed like that thing happened. And you'd say in theory, okay, Jimmy, who's one of your best players, gets kicked out. And Jared Dudley gets kicked out. That's a net win for the Nets. Sure. But it seemed like what it he really was trying, hyped up what he was you guys. Tra- yeah, what, what he was trying to get Joel tossed. Because he ran over and like... Try to get Joel. Try to instigate with Joe, Joe, right? Yeah. And that had been brewing from game one. So he just was going after yeah. Ben. He was going after, he was going after everybody. Yeah. And I said this, I was walking off and um, did a, you know, the, the interview with, with ESPN after that game. And I, I said exactly what you just said. I said, look, they lost Jared Dudley. We lost Jimmy. I don't think that that's a fair trade. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my, my thought was like, first of all, I was like making sure jo- Joe immediately put his hands up. And then <laughs> Jared like grabbed Ben to fall into the stands. I don't know. Man. It was crazy. It was, it was, well, I have to say one thing. Joe has been very good. He, he did this last night too. He's been very good at staying out of the muck on this stuff. Cause last night he got straight up cheap shotted. Yeah, and it was his friend, but he also because and he just didn't do anything, which is which was admirable. That's also because he, I think you're allowed seven technicals and four flagrant points, yeah. and he's got two flagrant points and like three technicals and already. Knows, so knows, at some yeah. point, like we're only like halfway through the second round. If we get to, you know, you you don't want a Draymond situation from 2016 where yeah. you know something happens or, or you, you get a you get a tough it's a game call. six and he's yeah. not playing because exactly. it's something stupid like that. Exactly. But it seemed it's the it seemed. I never expect there to actually be anything. Let's be honest. Like I talked about with with CP about this when yeah. he came on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago. But like I don't expect there to ever be a punch thrown. And so, like honestly, what you're like looking for, you're just like, all right, who's the aggressor here? Yeah. And a lot of times, like in that situation, like you know some of the guys, so you're like, all right, let me go over and try to calm this guy down or. Or whoever. I think for that, I was just, I was so far on the periphery though. And once people started falling into the stands, I was like, yeah. It was kind I'm of good. amazing that they ejected them in retrospect. To, I don't understand why Jimmy got ejected. I don't there wasn't really an explanation. And it yeah. felt it felt I mean, obviously we're biased, but it felt like it was a forgetting the fact that they're different caliber of players. Yeah. Jimmy wasn't even involved in any of the stuff previous stuff leading in. It was like one right. thing if he had been they had been doing this all series long and they were like, okay, this is leading up to it. But it really had been Jared and Ben and Jared and Joe and Jared and the bench and everything like that. Yeah. And so it felt like he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I mean, looking back at that series a little bit, it feels like doing just sort of the the two week later kind of introspective look at it. It feels like they jumped you guys a little bit in game one. Yeah. And they're good. They played you well all season. I mean, you yeah. said we said on this on the podcast leading in to the series, like they're a really good team, they're really well coached, and they play you well the they way play that they well. play. Yeah. But they then, like you, it's like they pissed you guys off, and it did not help them. It was not a good thing to get you guys sort of motivated. It was like they they had their best effort against you guys when you guys were sort of not focused at the beginning, and then once you got focused, it was sort of like lights out. Yeah, I think there was there was some of that. There was some of that. I, I think we would have been focused regardless of what had sort of tra- if Jared Dudley had done any of that, and it would have come together. Wasn't anyways. talking through the media. I should say, Jer- you know, Jared and I are friends. I love Jared. He deserves a lot of credit for sticking around the league as long as he has and yeah. playing. I mean, he's no playing. He's, not, he's, he's. I mean, he's like like Kenny will say this. Like Kenny, he was a valuable guy for them on yeah. the court beyond just in the locker room. Like he was a valuable guy for them on the court. I think he, you know, he is. 
we talk about earlier about basketball geniuses, right? And like he's a guy who has certainly figured it out mentally. I mean, he's a, he's a very very smart player and uh, has taken advantage of all of his gifts and has sort of used his his mind to minimize his weaknesses. What's your what's your? We have some weird questions coming up, but what's oh, your uh, what's your thought three games in on on the Raptors in terms of like what you guys need to do more of? what they've done well so far i mean obviously Kawhi is like he's a yeah i mean we got level talent yeah i mean but, some of it is you you want to try to figure out how to limit Kawhi. and i said this after game one like if he's hitting 10 dribble iso pull up fall away twos over ben simmons i don't you know you, you, you can't stop it yeah my my buddy who who works in the nba texted me like a month into the season and he's like dude my comp for Kawhi is jordan <laughs> like and in a lot of ways like it makes sense i mean look he, he like even last night in that, he's incredible in that third night. quarter yeah it's just like we couldn't stop him yeah you you hope that you know that their bench keeps missing shots but you, you know you also assume that those guys are going to get going at some point um you know i think i think what we I think what we have tried to do this series, which we didn't necessarily do in the Brooklyn series, and it's partially because we didn't have to, but I think what we're trying to do this series is anticipate their adjustments before they make them. So you know, they're they're so good, and you just are. We're trying to sort of stay one step ahead of them. So this is what worked for us in Game Two. What are they going to come back with in Game Three? This is what worked for us in Game Three. What are they going to come back with in Game Four? And and you know, hopefully we can keep that that sort of margin in the series. Yeah. I was thinking about this when we asked the question about uh, teams turning it on. Have you gotten to watch any of the other series? Or are you just sort of like, Oh we yeah, have, we have our thing. And no, 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 I, the NBA basketball for me is it's, but so my question is the best. my question. And obviously you have a lot of experience with them, but like when you look at a team like Boston, yeah. who the entire year, they have a crazy amount of talent the entire year. There's questions internally, externally, everything like that about, like, do these do they fit together? What's the problem? They're complaining. Everyone else is complaining. Everything like that. And then you watch what they do in Game One of that Milwaukee series, and you're like, "What the fuck? Like, yeah, <laughs> this is a team. This is, looks like a completely different team than a, than the Boston Celtics on March 15th." So, I guess my first question is, with them in particular, do you think that they just figured it out, or they just have sort of been kind of dormant? And then also, like, what has surprised you about other things that have been happening so far? So. In regards to the Celtics, I think there was another article today from from um, Jackie Mack, as our as our friend called her. Yeah, no, but there's Jackie had a had a great article today about the Celtics, and I think it was Terry Rozier in there had a quote, which was basically, when you get to the playoffs, like all the other stuff sort of goes out the window. Your contract situation, playing time, rotation, shots, minutes, et cetera, et cetera. And you're sort of focused on that one goal, which is advancing and hopefully playing for a championship. And I've said this a couple of times to the media when they've asked about our team in terms of the ups and downs we had this season and just our starting five not having a ton of games together in the last you know two and a half months of the season. And, I, and I've said like the, the playoffs offer an opportunity to, to either galvanize you or further split you apart. Yeah. And you can see that happen sometimes, like in real time, where you're like, oh my God, this team is disintegrating right before us. And and then the opposite of that can happen. I think, at least in my perspective, that has been happening with the Celtics. And, you know, I don't know what their issues are. 
we obviously had sort of our own set of issues as every team in the NBA does nowadays. And, you know, I think the playoffs has, has brought us together. And in regards to the rest of the NBA, yeah, I mean, I watch everything. I, I, I mean, I be honest with you, I thought Houston, maybe they still will, but well, I, was, I, I thought Houston was going to be Golden State. Well, what did you think about in game one, the ref stuff with them? I, I thought, look, I'm a guy who jumps forward on my shot. I can't shoot any other way. There's no yeah. way I can come off the screen and shoot from 27 feet and not jump forward. I thought the stuff in the first half absolutely should have been foul called. Guys going on under them. The Chris call and the James call at the end. I, I think both those are good no calls, to be honest with you. you, can't decide, you can't um, but the, the stuff the stuff with Clay coming, sort of not jumping. So that's the, that's the difference for me is, first of all, if you jump to contest a shot, a lot of the times you're not jumping f- towards the guy's body. You're jumping towards his hand. So you're on the side of him. Yep. So you really shouldn't hit him. But if a guy shoots and you're moving towards him and you don't jump, you're just coming into his airspace. That absolutely should be a foul every time. When you're watching these games, are you like foul, foul, foul? Or are you just kind of like taking it all in and thinking about it after the fact? I was a little shocked in game one of the first, especially the first half with the the, with the hard and no calls. When I watch NBA games, like I, I'm kind of watching everything, to be honest with you. <laughs> like I, I enjoy sort of watching, obviously, a guy's greatness and stuff. And so you you can kind of, you know, zero in on that. I I like watching sort of body language. Yeah. I like watching bench reactions. You know, when the camera cuts to a guy during a free throw, how's he interacting with his teammates? The refereeing stuff to me is is a little sort of overblown. To be honest with you, this actually brings up a point, and I'm going to ask you about this because we talked about having Kirk Goldsberry on. Yep, and and hopefully we'll get him on the podcast at some point. But so he writes this book and it's the excerpt of it gets written in ESPN this week about uh, how to fix the three-point line and for whatever reason ever since I don't know at least in my career ever since like Twitter ever since social media right there's been all these calls to fix the NBA and and a lot of them are sort of revolutionary calls like less games uh, shorter games how are we dealing with the last two minutes how are we dealing with referee transparency should we fix the three-point line? And it's like, is the game really that bad that yeah. we need to just change it? Change everything. Do you, like, do you sense that too? I don't sense that the game is that bad. I think that with the internet, the internet is, uh, there's, there's, I mean, we've talked about this a bunch about the negatives and positives of the internet. There's so much real estate to throw different ideas out that there is a you have a there's a vested interest in having a creative way to make these changes you know they talk about like innovation in every field how innovation is key innovation doesn't always have to happen you know things don't always just just because you're changing something doesn't mean you're necessarily changing it for the better and i think that there's a an overall goal to like not sit still with anything and so that becomes like let's make these let's make these additions for the sake of making them knowing full well they're necessarily going to happen there's actually, we're going to get to it. There's a question in here, which is sort of similar to this. And sort of, it's a little bit of an unrealistic question, but at the same point, I'm curious on your end this summer, if there was going to be one change, one like direct change that was made, what would you want? To the NBA? To the NBA. Oh man. There's so many. A four point line. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let me find this. I'm cause this is, this is what this question is about. I uh, just off the top of my head, you know what? And I know why they do it, but you know what kind of bothers me, and maybe it's just because again it goes back to the antsiness of of wanting to just move. Is I don't like on the nationally televised games how long the TV timeouts are when we come out of 
the huddle, there's still like a minute 15 on the clock. Yeah. And we just have to stand there. Stand there. But we can't walk on the court. It's always a little awkward. Until 30 seconds. It's awkward because you guys don't really want to talk to each other. Well, I don't want to talk. But we just talked in the huddle. Yeah. And like, you know, you you don't really want to like talk with the other team who's also standing there on their side of the court. You end up just like talking to Drake courtside. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I just want to walk on the court. You just talk to whoever's around. I just want to go get in position. Maybe chat with someone on the other sideline. No, but uh, that's, uh, that's, that always annoys me. I'm big on game flow. Game flow. I think we should really try to get NBA games to be under two hours and 10 minutes. Just keep it moving. And these playoff games are taking two hours and 44 minutes, and it just seems excessive. And look, I, uh, I, I recognize why that is. It's because there's longer timeouts and there's more commercials, and TNT and ESPN are paying the NBA a ton of money to be able to broadcast these games, and we're the beneficiaries of that. I, I recognize that. But I, I, I do wish there was a way to get these games to about 210 consistently. Yeah. Run 171. This is an elaborate question. A basketball and a saw are sitting on a court. You get one shot. A three-pointer from anywhere on the court. No warm-up. Make the shot. You win $100 billion. So you're Jeff Bezos. You miss the shot. You lose a limb. Question is, are you taking the shot? Why or why not? Which I think is the wrong question. My question is, where are you taking that shot from? I'm adapting his question. Okay. Uh, I know you're taking the shot. <laughs> this is a good question. We actually have these questions all the time in the locker room. Like, would you do this yeah. for $10 million? Of course. The, these are the greatest things. To, would you about. do this for $10 million? And you, you, know, you have to weigh the opportunity cost. $100 billion. So if I... If, do, let me ask you a question. If I... In your, it has you, to be a three. It has you've to be already, a three you've already amended the question. Yes. So could you amend it further? Let's, just, let's say that I said, uh, I'm going to shoot... And I'll go look at a shot chart before doing this. I'll go figure out where I'm most comfortable from shooting a three. And I'll pick that spot. Let's just say it's the right wing. So let's say I shoot from the right wing and I miss it. Okay? Yeah. You're losing a limb. I'm losing a limb. No doubt. So I would probably pick my right leg. Okay? So I'm going to cut my right. Oh, you get a second shot. Cut my right leg off. Do I get a second shot for a second limb? Like, could I double down? Well, I think you can't double down because you've already lost a limb. But I would say you would get a second shot for $50 billion. You would still okay. have a cash prize. You would lose the hundred. You can't get more money. You get less money. When we talk about these questions in the locker room, like there always comes a point in time where someone inevitably comes up with something you think very you, perverted. Do you, and of course. You're, and you're like, not inevitably. Like, it's it's, and they're, it's they're like, 25 seconds and in. Like, oh, would you do this for 10 million? And like, you'll be like, dude, my, my life, I, I hate to say this, but like, no. But if it's like a billion, right? And then they're like, what about 5 billion? Do you think you could make a three if you lost your leg? Yeah. If you had one leg? Yeah, for sure. Because think about it. If you had one leg, it'd be like shooting a one-legged runner. You could definitely buy a great fake leg with $50 billion. You have the best fake leg there is. The second question that everybody says, so it'll be like something really perverted. Would you do this for $10 million? No. Would you do it for $50 million? No. Would you do it for $250 million? Okay, now we're talking, right? (laughs) And then the next question will always be, well, are people going to find out? <laughs> Which is a good question. I also so think, if only you have to live with it. I also think it's funny how like everyone plays these games. Everyone, no matter, starting when you're 10 years old until when you die, you play these games. But there's a question with you guys are, you're in a locker room full of people that have a lot of money. And so the money thing is very different. So it's like, would you do something for $10 million? Your teammates might be like, nah, I'm good. No, I'm good. <laughs> Versus a normal person is like, 
would you do this for eight hundred thousand dollars? Yes, like a hundred percent. Relative, I, I suppose. What's the what's the uh, what's your favorite one of those things? My favorite one of those. What I can't that repeat. You can say I can't repeat any of these on here. Yeah, this, this is probably <laughs> this is. Oh my god! Is this, a, this is from Ben Barnett. Can you recall a time in your career where you thought your flight might not make it to the next city? And are there teammates you don't have to name names? that you despise flying i think he just wants a funny travel story yeah so there was a few guys that i played with that did not enjoy flying the worst flight i ever had was we were on a road trip in boston going to detroit this was maybe my third or fourth year with orlando i must been my third year i think because tony batty was still on the team and um we we flew through an electrical storm and uh and so that was pretty bad and it was very turbulent and you know, when you're flying through an electrical storm, there's lightning all around you. Like you're, you're not, you're, you know, you're, you're sort of sensing that something's going to happen. There's like five guys in the player's cabin that had to take the bags out and, and throw up. And then another time, and I want to say it was either the same year or the year after we were flying home from, I want to say Indianapolis to Orlando and we got over Charlotte and they said, we've got to, we've got to turn around and fly back to Cincinnati and land in Cincinnati airport. So we did that. And then when we landed, they were like, one of the engines wasn't working and went out. And we were all very grateful to them that they told us when we landed that the engine was not working and not in the middle of the air with 45 minutes to go. That's a nightmare. <laughs> it feels like it's just like a numbers game, though. With the amount of time you're in the air, like this is going to happen. You're sick. You're, you're sick. You're, you're just, sick for saying that. It's, it's true, though. It's true. I'm on a, by the way, I'm on a plane almost as much as you are. And I'm, and so I'm. Oh, you think about it every time before I take course, off. Every, every single time. It's going to happen. It's just the, every single time. But it's time. also when you, the, from an odd standpoint, that flying is so much safer than anything else you can do. There's, uh, there's walking down, walking down Dumbo, a street in Dumbo is so much more dangerous than yeah. getting on a plane and going anywhere. For sure. A couple weird quick ones. Spencer Foley, this isn't even really a question. Have, my question is, have you ever tried axe throwing before? It seems like something you would enjoy. I just wanted to say that. I uh, have not tried it. Will, will you but try it? There, is, there is an axe throwing bar in Gowanus, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. <laughs> of course there is. And uh, there's also one opening in Philly, I believe, very soon. So I, I will, I will try, try it this eventually. summer. Yeah, I'll try this summer. Ashton Kellums. I like this. Um, if you could only listen to five artists for the rest of your life, who would you pick? Five artists for the rest of my life. Okay. Uh, we got to mix up the genres a little bit. So Bruce Springsteen for sure. New, <sighs> new album coming out next month. Mumford and Sons. Ooh. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Nas for sure. <sighs> this is crazy to say this, but Dermot Kennedy for sure. <laughs> Let's go. Dermot. Uh, and. New edition. Oh, man. I would probably. Uh, nothing country. I feel like I should have one more singer songwriter in there. But I'm going to go. Actually, I'm just going to say Jay Z. I'd say Jay Z. Jay Z and Nas in the same list. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Uh, have there been any new restaurants or anything like that on the road that you've had over the last couple of months that you want to shout out? It's a good question. Let me think about that for two seconds. Oh, yes, there is. Have you ever been to Staple House in Atlanta? No. Uh, well, it's the best restaurant in Atlanta. Um, what very, kind of food? I'm very confident. Atlanta's a great food city, so that's high praise. Yeah, I'm very confident in saying that too. So it's actually like a tasting menu. And it was, um, I would describe it as Southern food elevated, but a great space. TJ and I went there. Um, I had to book a few weeks in advance. 
we went there and we had one of the most memorable meals I've had on the road. And I have eaten at Soto. I ate at Soto Soto in Toronto, which is, you know, an older spot, but great. Um, Toronto's got to be top five. Yeah, it's great. I'm trying a new place in Toronto. Well, I can't say where I'm trying now that I think next, about next it. Episode we'll next episode, next episode, yeah, because it's coming up, and yeah, I won't say where I'm trying, but I'm trying a new place in Toronto. I find that in the playoffs, I really just do room service, and even like playing in Brooklyn. I mean, those you know those two games in Brooklyn. So we were in Brooklyn for four days. Like I don't, I, I was either at the hotel taking a nap or I was in my apartment. Yeah, like, I didn't want to be out in public. Really, to be well, honest, I saw with this you. with you last year when we were in Boston. I mean, we, there were so many good restaurants in Boston that we would normally go to, and you just like you're you just lock in. You yeah, can't, you don't want to be you don't want to be in a situation. Not, not, not that you're going to get into a bad situation. No, but it's like, look, you have like a normal existence that you get in a rhythm with, and yeah. then you the playoffs start, and everything is more amplified. There's more attention, and you know you really should not leave your house wearing a bright red jacket. <laughs> It's his champion in the back. It's his champion. Walk back. all over New York City. Uh, so, you know, I just choose like, and I, yeah, and you, you just choose to sort of, you know, stay in the room. And by the way, if you've watched Endgame, please no spoilers. But I started like maybe like six weeks ago. I was like, I'm going to watch all Everything. of the MCU movies in order, in the chronological order. So, and even the ones I've watched before, I'm rewatching. And, uh, so I've gotten up to Black Panther, and so my next one is is Homecoming, Spider Man Homecoming. But I've watched like sixteen of the movies. I'm 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 rolling. What about, are you caught up on Thrones? No, no, I'm not caught up on Thrones. Where are you? Uh, season three. <laughs> That's going to be a fun summertime activity. Yeah, season three. The I, beauty for you is because you are not on social media, and that was one of the questions in here. Are you really not on social media? You're not. You don't have to risk spoilers. Yeah. I, here's the thing I've I've learned about uh, not being on social media though is inevitably someone I know will screenshot a tweet or an Instagram post if something crazy happens on social and you'll, media. And you'll still hear about so it. So I'll still, I still hear about most stuff. Most yeah. stuff, yeah. And we've had this conversation before, but recently has there been any, not even like in a bad way, but has there been any sort of like buzzy moment that you missed that you wish you had been on there for? There's always every, like a month ago. Every couple of weeks, NBA. every couple of weeks, something pops up. Yeah, and it's really fun. I mean, you're, the reality is, it's like it's so ephemeral that. But that's the problem. Like, if I can't even think of it now, and it was only that, a month ago, yeah. Like, there's probably been three more things that have happened that yeah. I just missed. Yeah, um, I don't miss it. I don't miss no. it. I stand by that. No, I think it's a. I think you are forward thinking on this one. I think that this is something that you you were in in 2019. You're doing this, and I think in 2025, everyone's going to wish that. <laughs> They had done it in 2019. Thank you, everybody, for these questions. These were great. Uh, we'll do this again. So is there anything else you want to chat about? No, I really appreciate the questions. As always, thank you for listening. Tommy, thank you for um, co-hosting with me today. Thank you for the wonderful questions from the listeners. And Tommy, as well, with the follow-ups and the, uh, the take addendums. A, take a picture of him in his jacket. <laughs> This is the most, this is the most, this is my, this is honestly a picture of the back of the honestly, jacket. Honestly, I feel like you should, I feel like we should here. I'm also wearing a, uh, a bracelet of brightly colored beads that my four-year-old made at preschool. It's an incredible outfit. Oh, wait, we have one more question. We have, uh, we have one more question. 
uh, from Chelsea in Brooklyn. This was a, this was sent in. This was sent in by Telegram. What are you going to get your wife for Mother's Day? Jeez, <laughs> oh, I would actually like to know this. Uh, if you if you have, uh, there's a way for you to contact the Ringer. I really need to know this. So if you, if there's any guys out there, girls out there, whatever, your significant other, if there's anyone out there who tries attempts to celebrate their birthday for an entire month instead of on the day I need to know because my wife on May 1st wakes up and says happy birthday month to me and I'm supposed to provide gifts love flowers for an entire month all month I mean I think we had three birthday parties for her last May I looked at her calendar (laughs) this is not an exaggeration I looked at her her birthday's May 13th I looked at her calendar the other day. She has a party on the 9th, the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, and the 14th. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm, it's such a power. And move. I'm like, if the playoffs work out where, you know, we have the 13th off, like she could go five straight days with birthday parties, like some form. Well, I've got my Brooklyn Heights friend over here. I've got Kylie and Hattie here. It's, that's, it's unbelievable. That's the best. That's the best. I, don't, I don't know. She's I just, figured out. She's figured it out. You have to get on her level. <laughs> I guess because birthdays were not a big deal in my household growing up. Like I, the only birthday I remember ever actually being thrown for me, other than my mom baking a cake and me celebrating with my siblings, is like my 18th birthday. She threw a surprise birthday party for me, and that's it. That was like, that's it. So it's just not a big deal. I don't know why we need a month. Chelsea's going to make up for it. For she's doing <laughs> yeah. for every birthday you didn't celebrate, she's doing three of them. Yeah, and then my kids, you know, they're pro- both my boys will probably have three birthday parties this. Friday. It's going to be great for them. It's you're the only great. one who's you're. you're I get shafted. Missing out. I get shafted. But all right, thank you, and we'll be back very soon with a way more famous guest than Tommy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh appreciate your patience in between episodes and hopefully we make a uh, a deep playoff run and i actually don't speak to any of you guys for another six weeks <laughs> <laughs>